Amen. How can we ever thank him enough? We are continuing in our sermon series today, and, and um, we are going in, through a sermon series that I've entitled Behind the Curtain, taking a look at what it is that's going on in the spiritual world, the places that we may not see, the things that are hidden behind the curtain that are pulling the puppet strings for many of the things that are happening in the culture in which we live. And the question that I, I, I want to start off with is, is this one, WWED. I want to look at that. What would Elijah do? Because we're going to take a look at the life of Elijah. I have been uh, having some, uh, some vision problems. I don't know why. I, I, when I hit the age I am, I, all of a sudden my eyes do not see the way they used to. And so um, I have readers that are like everywhere I sit down. And so I, I just keep them there. And um, it got to where the readers weren't working right. And so I thought, I better go in. And this one eye, I can't, it's all fuzzy. And, and so I thought, I'm going to go find out what's going on. I probably need some glasses or an adjustment. And so you go in, and you've all probably been there. You know the, 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 the drill. You sit down in the chair, and they pull this big old machine with these two little holes in it. And they pull it up to you like this. And then they make you look at this chart on the wall. And they start asking you, they start dropping these lenses in, going, can you see now? Nope. Can you see now? Nope, that's worse. Can you see now? Nope. Can you see now? Nope. Can you see now? Well, that's a little better. And, and, and you start thinking, well, maybe that's as good as it gets. <laughs> How disappointing. <laughs> and, then, and then all of a sudden, this right lens drops in, and it's like, push. Ah. <laughs> it's like, yes. I can see. I can finally see. Well, I was thinking about that in, in um, regards to what we're talking about. And, and I thought, you know, Elijah and the life of Elijah is the lens through which we should see the life in which we live today. It's the lens for the days in which we live. And I want us to see clearly. I want us to see through his, through his life and through the lens of what is happening in this time in history. I want us to see. I want us to discern. I want us to see the, the, the cultural difficulties in, in the current culture in which we live and, and to see the realities of that culture in light of what went on in the life of Elijah, to take a look at the spiritual forces that were at work at that point and see how they relate to the world today in which we live. So what's going on behind the curtain? And we look at through Elijah's life and we begin to see what's going on behind the curtain in the day in which we live. I, um, <laughs> I thought this might not be the best sermon to, um, to give the week before we go to three services. I hope that after the sermon, we still need three services. Because some of you are going to probably disagree with some of the things I'm going to share with you. Disagree with them, you know, and, and you have to decide, am I disagreeing because it's unbiblical or not a biblical principle, or am I disagreeing because this is what I've been trained up in the culture to believe? So I'm going to ask you, listen, and, and I said, contrary to the way in which the world works today, 
We can disagree, and I can still love you. I know that's conflicting with the way in which the world works today, but we can do that. And and I'm expecting you to extend the same grace to me. And so if there's some things that I say or talk about that you may not, I don't know if I agree with that, hold on to it. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because this has, been my, this has been my prayer as I lead up to this, is that by the time we get to the end, the lens of Elijah will drop in front of our eyes and we'll go, oh, now I can see. And I'm praying that God would help me to communicate this today in a way that you would see things, that you would experience that kind of revelation as I did in the clarity of what it is that is going on in the day that we live today. Amen? Amen. Deal? Okay, I got to deal with a couple of you. In Elijah's day, his day, like the day in which we live today, there is today, I mean, everywhere you turn, there is a war on every front. I mean, there is a battle everywhere you go. There are political wars. There are sexual wars. There are gender wars. There's educational wars. There's parental wars. There's culture wars. There are spiritual wars. We live in an insane world. We live in a world that's lost its ever-loving mind. I mean... Some of the things that we're fighting over today. We, we, people are fighting over birthing issues. Who's a birthing people? It's okay for me to call you a birthing people, but not a woman? This is nuts. Where in the world are we when this becomes the thing that pregnant people? I think that means you're a woman. And I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm just saying this to make my point. I'm not trying to be crass with this statement. But I was reading. And there are men that are offended. They are fighting for the right to menstruate. <laughs> the gender pronouns. The, the gender pronoun thing reminds me of it reminds me of the mask situation that we went through a couple years back. So if I wore a mask in church, half of you left. If I didn't wear a mask in church, the other half left. Today, I'm not sure whether I'm allowed to call you a he or a she. Am I allowed to point out that you're a woman, that you're a man. Am I allowed to do? And I told the first service, I'm going to tell you this, just so you're clear. I am a man. You can call me he. You can call me sir, mister, whatever it is. I'm a man, always will be till the very end. Because that's the way God made me. Today, we are fighting for the right for men to participate in female sports. We have seen this happen over and over and over again in our country. I was reading an article in Wales 
There was a man, a grown man, who identified as a 12-year-old girl, and he was participating in the 12-year-old girl league of cricket and was hurting little girls. And nobody would say anything to him because they were afraid of offending him. Church, listen, we live in a day when mental health is not a health issue anymore. It's a civil right. Where demonization has become a civil right. Look, we can't even send our kids into a public bathroom without the guarantee that there may not be somebody who has gender dysphoria or they are a predator pretending to have gender dysphoria in confusion and we, we can't even feel comfortable with that anymore. There are people that are offended that we have a man in a woman's bathroom. You'd be surprised at all the things that get complained about. Say, well, we have a men's and a women's bathroom so that the men will go in one and the women will go in the other. And the two shall not mix. Church, we live in a time today where we have drag shows that are happening in churches. Where drag queens are being invited into public forums, into libraries to read stories to our children, and parents are applauding it. I'm going to say this. Some of you may get upset about it, but anytime, anytime a child is exposed to a sexualized environment, it is not entertaining, it's grooming. We are grooming our kids. And then again, like I am right now, I mean, if I say anything about it, there's this cancer culture that wants to come in and completely silence your voice, to take it away, to shut you down, to slander you, crucify you, creating you a monster so that the words that came are no longer from the words of truth, but they're coming from the words of a monster who's just a hate-filled hate monger. So we can't say anything. And all of it is done under this umbrella. Umbrella of, of social justice, equity, CRT, systematic racism, patriarchy, and, and all of it, church, created to, to create in all of us a victimhood. Not to say there aren't victims. But to create this place where of continual victimhood. And today, if you notice, if you watch the news or watch anything that's going on that's describing what's happening in the culture today, what you see is you'll see those, those who rise up in a victorious way out of those places, out of that place of darkness, out of that place of victimhood. They rise up as victors. They are beheaded. They are silenced. People don't... They, they're, they're not applauded because they rose up. They're trying to silence those who rise up because it comes against the whole story of victimhood. And people want to be victims more than they want to be victorious today. And again, then they say, well, wait a minute. There, there's no leader. Who's the leader of this thing? Who's going on? If there's no leader, there's, this isn't a genuine movement. 
There's, if there's no teacher that's teaching, then there's not a legitimate movement that's going on. And I would say there is a leader. There is one that is leading. There are those that are leading. It may just not be in a physical realm. Behind the curtain, there are powerful things, powerful spirits that are at work in the spiritual realm of the unseen. There are spiritual things going on that are pulling the strings in the culture in which we live today. There is a whole world, a world that is honestly more real than the world that we live in. This world has a beginning. This world, as does that one, but this one has an end. And that one does not. And so there's this whole unspoken, unseen realm that is pulling the strings and influencing people. And that's why we call it being woke. Now, please, I know there's a lot of different definitions. A lot of different things are said about that. You can go on the internet and you can find out pretty much anything you want to find out about that word woke and any direction that you want to come from. I mean, they, it's, and doesn't mean that they aren't true. It just means that they don't go back to where this whole thing began. Church, same demons. It's just a different day in which they're operating. Same demonic force. And that word woke, it's this prophetic word that really, it's a prophetic word about progressive wokeism. And it's what we're walking in. Because the Bible does not tell us. The Bible does not tell us just what happened. The Bible tells us what always happens. And this is a, just a repeat of the things that have gone on time after time after time. And it doesn't only tell us about the things that we can see, the things that are seen in this world, the seen world in which we, uh, we walk and function, but it also tells us about what has happened and what always does happen in the world that's going on behind the scenes, the world that we don't see, what's going on behind the curtain. Because there is things going on behind the curtain. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 12, it says, For we are not fighting. And church, that doesn't mean that we're not fighting. We are fighting. We are fighting for our spiritual lives. We are fighting for all sorts of freedoms. We are fighting for our faith. We are fighting for our family. Church, we're fighting for the future. We are fighting. We are in a battle. It's just that we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. It's not the people. It's not people. It's not flesh and blood that we hate. It's the powers, the principalities, the demonic forces, the spiritual darknesses that are at work in people that are being destroyed and devastated by these demonic theories and philosophies and followings. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against ruler, evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world, and against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. So when we're talking about, or I'm talking about here in regards to the message today, this place of, of being woke, I'm talking about being woke as a demonic counterfeit to being born again. Church, Jesus said you must be born again. You must be born again. Now again, I did not make the rules up. I'm not the one who wrote the word. I'm just telling you what it says. And Jesus said you must be born again. So we should know what that means. Because that seems like a pretty important principle. If Jesus said you must be born again, then we need to know what that means. 
Being born again means that we have been awakened, enlightened in our spiritual sense, awakened by the Spirit of God, awakened by Him, awakened by the Holy Spirit to the fact that we are sinful people, that we have sinned and we need a Savior. That's what it comes down to. And receiving Him. Being woke, this counterfeit of that, being born again, is being awakened by demonic spirits so that you understand or so that you have this enlightenment that you're a good person and not a sinner and that you don't need Jesus as your Savior. You don't need a Savior. You're your own Savior. You're saved by what you do. You're saved by how good you can be. You're saved by how good you keep the rules. So I want to look at this backdrop of the life of Elijah. And we're going to, I'm going to go back. I'm not going to read through the whole thing. I would suggest that you do. First Kings chapter 11, we begin in that place where we begin to see the backdrop being set for what it is that's happening in what I'm calling the days of Elijah. Amen? So will you bow your heads and let's just open here or let's move into this with a word of prayer. Lord God, you are good. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts, into our lives. Open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say. And I pray that every idle word would fall to the ground. And I thank you, Lord God, that you are good and that you desire for your people to hear your truth and to be able to embrace your life in us. I pray that today, Lord, you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So in looking at the days of Elijah, there's this backdrop that begins in 1 Kings chapter 11 that, that again, you can read later about the days of Elijah. And so as the setup is coming, we, we've got King David. And King David, he's the king. But King David, who wanted to build the temple of God, the place where people would come to worship the one true God, he wasn't allowed to build the temple because David was a man of war. He had blood on his hands, and God did not want a king that had blood on his hands to build his temple. And so he put the building of the temple into the hands of Solomon. And Solomon, David's son, he was the man that was called to build the temple, the place where the perfection of God, would, his presence would be there, and the people would be drawn to this temple to worship the true God. Now Solomon had a wife, one wife. She was a good wife. God gave her of that wife. And God told him, Solomon, be content with one wife. Don't let your eyes stray. Don't go after these other women. Don't commit adultery. Don't let yourself lust. Solomon, control these things. Don't do that. Be satisfied with the bride that I have provided for you. And God's telling Solomon these things in 1 Kings 11. Be satisfied and don't marry these foreign women. Don't marry them because they seek after foreign gods. And if you marry these foreign women who are worshiping these foreign gods, you will begin to worship these foreign gods and your worship of me will begin to wane. And so God is telling him all of these things so that Solomon's heart would not go astray from the one true God who had given him this distinction of building the temple. So what happened? 
Solomon disobeyed. He, diso- he didn't just disobey a little. <laughs> I still, I read through that and I go, how in the world was he the wisest man? I, I, I don't know. But listen to what he, what he did. I mean, he disregards God. He takes 700 wives. And if that's not enough, he had 300 concubines. Well, needless to say, in 1 Kings 11, they turned his heart from the Lord. It says in verse 4, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart from other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. I want you to see what's happening here. Okay? His heart was being turned towards other gods. His heart was not wholly true. Not wholly true. I mean, some true, but not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of, his, of David, his father. So Solomon is given the opportunity, the privilege, the calling to build the temple of God. But do you know what else he did? He built altars on high places. He built altars for Asherah. And Molech. Asherah was a, was a powerful female deity. Molech was a powerful male deity. And it was said that the two, these two gods would come together and they would have horrible, lustful, disrespectful, disregarding relationship that I can't even tell you about. And that is what the people were being called to come and to worship at. That's what the people of God were being called to come and to worship at. I'm trying to put that together in something that we could understand. If you took a brothel and you put it into the same building with a Planned Parenthood abortion center, they would have called it a church. Because that's what was happening in these churches. And so you would come to church and you would worship. You would come to worship God. Maybe the one true God and these other gods, but you would come and you would begin to worship in this cultural way. And what would happen is that you'd come, you would worship that way and then sacrifice your child because that's what they did. Because church, you will see it historically, you will see it biblically, that whenever a culture starts to worship sex, they begin to sacrifice their children. And they were worshiping in sexual ways at the altar of Asherah and Molech, and they were worshiping in these sexual ways, and they were having children, and these children were being taken to these altars, and they were being sacrificed, thinking that they were doing what God wanted them to do. They were taking them and they were throwing them into the fire. And I know, I'm sorry, I know that that's crazy. But you know what? It is what happened. Because any culture that worships sex murders their children. And we are not far from that, church. Not far at all. In fact, we're there. 
what he did. And God was ticked off. God got angry. God was mad at, at what happened in this time. And, and it's, you know, I, I said this in first service. Let me say this again to you. There is a time that we should be getting angry. And if you open your eyes and look around at what's going on as Christians, it should make us angry. We should be upset with what's happening, with what's going on, what's happening to the children, what's happening in worship, what's happening in all of these places. If you're not angry, you're probably just not paying attention or don't care. Because if God gets angry, then it must be okay. It must be that once in a while, it's godly for us to get angry about certain things as well. And it won't go easy. You know, Elijah, he stood up. He got, and you know, what the, you know what King Ahab said about him? King Ahab, the spineless wimp of a man. You know what, he, you know what he said? He called Elijah the troubler of Israel. The enemy will always accuse you of doing exactly what they're doing. And at some point, and I pray that some of you, I pray that some of you take this anointing upon you. At some point, somewhere, someone needs to step up and cause a little trouble. Someone needs to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. Somebody needs to stand up and declare what is right and what is righteous. Sometimes there is a divine anointing, a divine appointing that someone steps up and causes a little trouble. Oh, come on, amen? amen. So, God was angry. And it says in 1 Kings 11, 11, it says, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, since this is what you've been doing, what was his practice? His practice, he says, since, you have not been, uh, uh, since this has been your practice and have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Church, God will always do what God said he would do. He always will. And you know what God did? He tore the kingdom in two tore the kingdom north and south Israel in the north Judah in the south he completely, he completely tore them north and south today we are completely torn right and left our world, our country, our nation our, our nation is, is torn right and left people no longer especially in the political realm, but not even just in the political realm. People don't really respond by what they believe to be necessarily the right or the wrong. They just vote by their party line. I'm either right or I am left. And the divide is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We are a divided nation, just as Israel was. We are a divided nation to the right and to the left. And our culture is completely fractured. Our political system is broken. People don't even regard people as people anymore. People have just, it's not about what's best for people. People are just something to be counted. People are just something to be manipulated. People are just something to be herded. We live in a day that is much like the days of Elijah. And this just sets this, this political... The, the political, the, the cultural, the social, this moral, the, the spiritual backdrop for 
where we are. And the next, what I want to bring up, I've talked about this, but I want to go back on it, into it because it's important that we understand this. And the next thing, what I want to talk about is, for a moment is this, that God creates and Satan counterfeits. God creates, Satan counterfeits. When God creates something, the first thing Satan tries to do is to produce a counterfeit. All through history. In Genesis chapter 1, in the very first verse, it says, in the beginning. In the beginning, before anything else, in the beginning. What did God do? God created. What did he create? He created all that was in heaven, and he created all that was in earth. He created it all. Everything in heaven, God created it. Everything on earth, God created it. You know what that means? That God is the creator and everything else is created. And we shouldn't be worshiping what's created when God's called us to worship the creator who created it all. He's called us to be worshipers. He's called us to that. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And at that point, the enemy began to step in and began to create counterfeits. And all the way through to the end, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about how the works of Satan and the counterfeit powers, the signs, the wonders, the miracles. It says the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives and, and has those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. God, uh, the enemy uses every kind of of wickedness, every kind of deception, every kind of confusion to get us to fall for the counterfeit. To begin to think that the counterfeit is greater than the one who created it all. And so from the very beginning of time and through to the very end of time till Jesus comes and crushes the enemy under his feet and until that point, we will see the same principle working through all of time. God creates Satan counterfeits. God creates Satan counterfeits. And we're going to see this in the entire storyline. If you read from 1 Kings 1 and go all the way through into 2 Kings, into the first chapter, into the second chapter, you will see this at work through the entirety of the scriptures here. You will see in all of that, you will see the Holy Spirit versus the unholy spirits, the counterfeit spirits. You will see the truth versus the lies. You will see in their worship versus the counterfeit idolatry. You will see God's kingdom versus Ahab's kingdom. You will see the prophet Elijah versus the 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. You will see God versus government. Because church, there is always going to be a conflict between God and government. And again, I'm not, please hear me out, I'm not calling for the militia. But there will always be a conflict because God says that he is the highest authority. 
and that every other authority on earth has been given by him and that he is the one, the only one that gives that authority. And the only authority that the government has is the authority that God gives. Okay, Romans 13.1 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. But what does a, a, a worldly government want to do? God says he's the highest authority, and government wants to be the highest authority. There's a conflict there. So what does the government do? In the story of Elijah, what does the government do? The king, the kingdom, the ruling class, what do they do? I want you to hear this, okay? They close all the churches. And they send all the prophets into hiding. And they kill the ones that they can find. And then what they did was they sent out hordes of false prophets. And these false prophets went out and began to declare this, that, and the other. And they went out with the purpose of creating fear so that they could keep the churches closed. Now today... We talk about fake news. You know what fake news is called in biblical terms? It's called false prophecy. It's false prophecy. False prophet is one who says that something will happen. And what does it do? It creates a spirit of fear. It creates a spirit of fear that would come amongst the people so that the people in fear would become willing to give up their liberties, to give up their, 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 their rights, to give up the freedoms, to stop worshiping God, to give up their ability to go here or to go there. And then what they're told is a lie and it never comes to pass. People were not walking by the truth. They were walking by fear. And that's what a false prophet will do. Well, church, a few years ago, our government hired a bunch of false prophets. And, and we call it the news, media, social platforms, social networks. And they told us that the world is going to come to an end unless you stop going to church. Unless you stop going to school. Unless you stop going to work. You need to surrender your liberties. You need to surrender your freedoms. You need to surrender your rights. And what happened? A spirit of fear gripped our planet. A spirit of fear was not, it was that spirit of fear is not from God. In fact, he very clearly tells us, I have not given you the spirit of fear. But fear gripped the planet. And what happened? It was the first time in the history of Christianity, in the history of the Christian church, it was the first time that the church was shut down. It was closed. You know the same thing happened in the days of Elijah? Same spirits, just a different day. And all of the churches, we were, everyone, we were all closed down by fear. And COVID-19 was these series of, of false prophecy after false prophecy that were promoted and spread by the government. Now again, I'm not a conspiracist. I'm not at all. And, and, and I don't, not trying to say that there wasn't 
You know, there was plenty of places where people were getting sick and people with comorbidities and people that were older and people that, that, um, that had sicknesses and illnesses and they had the, the high-risk people. They need to be safe. You need to take precautions, just like you do with anything that starts to go around. You need to start to, you know, don't, don't, be, don't be dumb. <laughs> Use wisdom in that. But church, for everyone else, we don't need, we didn't need the fractured mental health system that we now have. We did not need devastated churches that are still trying to recover. We didn't need, we don't need a mountain, a mountain upon mountain upon mountain of debt that's being passed down to our children and our children's children, a debt that can never be paid. We don't need all of that. We don't need that. We do, what it's done is it's created this increased dependency on government. And again, I'm not saying that, you know, don't listen to the government ever. Or not, I'm not. God says he's the one who's given the government the authority. What I'm saying is that what we don't need is an increased dependency on government. We need an increased dependency on God who gives government their authority. We, he's the one that provides. But what government did through false prophets was they replaced God with the authority of government. And please, I am, I am not making a political stand here. I'm, this is not, in fact, what I'm talking about, it's not even political. It's biblical. And in the end, the word of God will steamroll over every demonic force, every demonic spirit, every false pretense, every false religion. The spirit of God through the word of God will roll over it all because our God is the creator and everything else is created. And he has the authority that is over every other authority. And there is no authority that has authority except for the authority they have from the ultimate authority. The king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. He is God almighty. And that is where our dependence needs to be and needs to stay. Amen? Amen. So, with that in mind, I want to just take a few moments to, to talk about what was happening in this day, and what's happening in, in the days of Elijah, and what's happening today, and how they relate. Yeah. Because what we have is this thing called syncretism. Syncretism leads to Satan. Syncretism is never good for the kingdom of God. In fact, we are never called to syncretism. Let me explain. In 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 31, it says this, and as if it had been a light thing for him, again talking about King Ahab, to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. He was the king of Israel. Everyone, church, listen, you were created, every one of us, you were created to worship. That's what you're created to do. And everyone worships something. And if you're not worshiping the one true God, you are worshiping a demon God. I do love you. <laughs> Verse 32. So 
talking about Ahab, he erected an altar for Baal, Baal, whatever, however you pronounce that, in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria, and Ahab made an Asherah. You know what an Asherah pole is? I'll, I'll use this terminology because I don't want to be gross. It is a phallic symbol, and it was a marquee. It was a sign that was put out in front of churches to encourage people to come and enter into sexual immorality and sexual sin. Amen. Ahab, and he says, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Read that, and if you read through this, you'll find that these kings just continually got more evil. The kings of, God, of, of Israel, of Judah, God's people. Some, many, many did. There are some that, had the, that did right. But the, there again, there's this progressive place in which it got evil and more evil and more evil. And things got more and more wicked. Which again tells me that church, sometimes I know that in the culture we're in, we think we're evolving. We're not evolving. We are devolving. We are not progressive. We are digressive. Church, we are headed towards death. Every one of us, we are headed towards the end. We are not progressing. We are digressing. And the moment we think we're getting better, we need to understand we're not. In, in culture, in the world, and how we live, we're getting worse. And we are, even in the church, we have become so deceived. In fact, oftentimes in the church, we've become evil to the point where we believe this myth that today we are somehow closer to being more like Jesus than those country bumpkins a thousand, two thousand years ago were. We have grown so far past those guys. And syncretism is this. And what we try to do is bring them together. It's syncretism. It's where people are for God and anti-God. I'm, yeah, I'm for God when it's convenient, when I like it, when I'm in church. And I live anti-God when I'm out in the culture because the culture scares me. And so what do I do? I want to take a little bit of my church life and I want to take a little bit of my cultural life and I want to blend them together so that there can be reconciliation. Look, look reconciliation is a godly word when used in a godly fashion, he says, be reconciled unto me. And so there's this cultural buzzword, which is the counterfeit. Church, it's the virtue signaling word for syncretism, and it's called reconciling. We're going to reconcile these two worlds that God says should not happen. He says, come apart, be separate. And so here what we have is we have Baal and we have Asherah and these two demon gods. And we have the blending together with the worship of the one true God. And it's starting to come together. And it's creating false religions. False religions are implemented, grown. The false religions come from behind the curtain and there's powerful demonic forces that are putting them together in the unseen realm and then birthing them here.
And this is what's happening here. Baal, Baal was considered to be one of the, the chief, like, like he was one of the high up gods, this chief male deity. Asherah was considered to be one of the, the high up, the chief female deities. And this male deity and this female deity would come together and have these illicit sexual relations. You know, I was reading um, through all of these things and reading through the, um, some of the things that happened back in these churches. I, I can't even tell you. I can't even read it to you. It's pornographic. It's disgusting. It's absolutely horrific, the things that people would do when they gathered together for church. Unspeakable things, unimaginable things, things that, you know what? Whoa, how in the world does that ever, ever happen? Baal and Asherah, they, they were considered this god and goddess. And, and if you, again, I'm just, I'm breaking these down. You can find detailed descriptions about them uh, in commentaries online all over the place. But basically, they were the gods of fertility. They were the gods of the of birth of children, of crops, and of rain. That's why when God answered Elijah's prayer that there would not be rain for three years, this was an act of war. This was God saying, I rule and reign over the rain, not Baal. And so he was absolutely declaring war against Baal, the god of rain, and the culture that embraced that. Let me also say that in that day and time, they were very, they were pro-abortion. So to worship the, this God and this goddess, you did that by committing sexual immoralities. You would come and they would have sexual immoralities and then in sexual immorality there would be children and you would then take the children that came out of that immorality, out of that worship, and you would sacrifice them to these perverted gods by taking them to the altar to destroy them or to throw them in the fire and burn them. Look, I'm just telling you the truth of what happened. There are sacrifices that were going on then. There are sacrifices being made still today to demon gods. And what you had in these days in Israel was syncretism. You had the history of the worship of God, the God of, the, according to the Ten Commandments, the, the God of Moses, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You had the worship of, of the one true God, and they begun to add together the worship of these demon gods to bring them in sync, to synchronize them. It was syncretism. And the very same thing is happening in our civilization, our Western civilization, our culture today. Same thing. Let me, let me just show you something that I, I found. You know, um, put that first picture up. This is, the, um, this is what's on top of the New York State Supreme Court building. That's Moses. Moses with the Ten Commandments open. This was the rule of law. This was the rule of morality. This was the, the place where people came to be governed by the law, the rule of law. Where it, where it came from, from, from God. 
And recently, there was a statue removed and another statue put up on the top of the same building. This is a statue of Medusa. Medusa represents abortion. So on the top of the state Supreme Court building, there is now this representation for abortion, a tribute to abortion. And again, the symbolism is this, that just as before, when people came for justice to the place where Moses and the Ten Commandments are, now they come for justice to the place where Medusa represents abortion. There's another... As the people of God, that should disgust us. But that is where our culture is today. So, that's what syncretism looks like. That's what syncretism looked like in ancient Israel, and, and this is what it looks like today. So, this is where I hope, and I'm going to begin to pull this together here. This is where I hope that, like, the dropping of the lenses, I hope that everything will go, wow, that's why. What happens when there's syncretism? When there's syncretism, it leads to something called apostasy. You've heard of that before, right? No, apostasy is where people are for God and anti-God. It's where we, we are on both sides. I, you know, I'm for God, I'm anti-God. It's where people say that they're for God and they begin to live anti-God lifestyles. And the word apostasy came from, it was an ancient battle word. It was something that came out of battle. It was when you go to war for your king and you go to war for your kingdom and you're fighting for your king, you're fighting for your kingdom and in the middle of the battle you turn and you decide to start fighting for the other side and you start fighting against your king and against the kingdom from which you came. And it was called treason. Church, it's called apostasy. That's what that is. And what's true in the physical is true in the spiritual. And today, this apostasy, even in the church, we call it wokeism or deconstructionism or progressivism. We, this is what the church is doing to try to blend together or syncretize the ways of the world, the culture that we live, and the worship of the one true God. We have today, in our culture today, we have absolute social Marxism. We do. I mean, it shows up predominantly in places where we discussions of sex and marriage and gender and, and, and parenting. And again, in the days of Elijah, they closed the churches they closed down Bible teaching. They closed down what you could call schools. They canceled, and ultimately, they killed the prophets. In church, they are different spirits, but these are the same days. Same thing that's happening. The church, the church was closed. Christian schools still have not recovered. Christian schools still are not the same. 
because of all of the pressure and all of the, the things that happen that Christian educators are just completely waffling oftentimes as to what they will, what they won't allow. Pastors are afraid to declare the truth of God's word, afraid to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. And the authority of parents is being taken away. The authority of a parent to decide what their children will learn and what their children will not learn is no longer your right, but that's something that's supposed to be put into the hands of an educator or in the hands of someone else, a teacher, a principal, but not you. The right to whether your children decide whether they're going to be a male or going to be a female is no longer put into the hands of parents. It's put into the hands of a teacher or a counselor that knows better than you what it is they need in this confusing time of their life. And church, if you stand up and say something, then you are the one that's railroaded. You are the one that's attacked. You're the one that's maligned. You're the one that's canceled. And church, it's getting to the place where you may even be the one that's arrested. Worship team, come on back up, would you? And so what has happened now is, so the church of Jesus Christ was closed. And honestly, the church as a whole, the church still has not fully bounced back. The, the numbers of attendance of churches in the United States is dramatically down. While the numbers of mental health issues are through the roof. The suicide rate, through the roof. Yet, we can't see the correlation between that. Take God out, and it becomes godless. And the enemy wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. Look, the churches that are now still, many of them, churches are open. Yet, pastors and preachers and church leaders are still gripped with a fear. The fear of what happened. The fear of what I'm allowed to say. The fear of what we're not allowed to say. Gripped with fear. Still holding on to the same fear that gripped us in that time of false prophecies I will just say it there are a lot of church leaders pastors, ministers that are cowards and not willing to speak up and to share the truth they've lost their courage lost their voice they lost their ability to stand up as Elijah and declare thus saith the Lord Many pastors today are, are what we call soft-woke. You know, you know what the difference between soft-woke and true-woke is? It's not in what somebody believes, it's in what somebody is willing to declare. So, are we, are you, as a church, are we soft-woke? Because... What happens in the pulpit, 
will be reflected in the church body. Again, I want you to hear this. What happens in the pulpit will be reflective by what happens in the choices and decisions that are made by the congregation and by the people in that congregation. And those in that soft, woke place are unwilling to stand for the truth. Unwilling to, to stand up under the pressure. They, they will fold under the pressures of the culture. When things get rough, when time gets difficult, when the persecution really begins to happen, they're going to fold because they have not learned to stand up. And could this be, could this be the plan that came from behind the curtain that in these days and in these last days would lead the church to apostasy? A people that won't stand up, a people that will waffle between two opinions. Look, the apostasy that the Word of God talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where in the last days there will be a great falling away. There will be a great apostasy and people will no longer be able to stand for the one true God. And is this the plan that we may be walking in, in these days of Elijah where God would begin to, to, to call the church to rise up and she is not willing because she's begun to entertain other gods. And could that be the fulfillment that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 7? When he says, when people come to the throne and they say, but Jesus, I did this and I did that and I did this for you and I did that for you. I was in church. I did all these things for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, away from me. I do not know you. Could it be because those people were worshiping at an idol that God was not at? They were worshiping at an altar that was compromised through syncretism? And God said, I don't want anything to do with that. But God, I thought we were worshiping you. I thought we were worshiping you at the altar. And he said, no, you know what? You polluted my altar with demon gods. And you might have been there. But I wasn't. So I don't know you. For me, this is where the lenses fell. I was like, I can see clearly. And I hope and pray that you can see more clearly than you did. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord God, thank you. Gracious God, thank you. You are the God who is able to bring and draw each of us to you, to open our eyes through revelation to your truth. And I pray, God, that you would do that today. I pray, Lord, that this church body would know how desperately you love them, that, God, you, you're so willing even to offend us because of your love for us. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would draw all men and women to you, to your altar, to the purity of your altar, to the purity of worship before one throne, the throne, 
Jesus, you said, if you be lifted up, that you would draw all men, all women unto yourself. So Jesus, be lifted up. Be lifted up in this place. Be lifted up, O God, above every other demon God, above every other false religion, above every other deception, every other curse, every other counterfeit. Jesus, be lifted up. We just need you. We just need your authority in our life. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring the discernment to each and every one of our hearts and lives to be able to see the difference. God, that we would not fall prey to the enemy's plan just because it feels culturally better. God, we stand firm knowing that it's only upon the rock of Jesus Christ that we can build something that will last. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to do just that. Lord, if there are any in this place today that are apart from you, that don't know you as the Lord and Savior, Lord, if there are any in this place today that are not born again, I pray that now, Lord, by the revelation of your Spirit, you would reveal your great love for them. That, Lord, they are sinners. They are separated from you. That, God, that we need a Savior, and you're the only one that can save us. That, God, it's not a horror story. It is a love story. It is a story, Lord God, of a loving God who redeemed his people who were lost in the darkness. And that, God, you came in to get us. You didn't leave us wandering and wallowing in the darkness, the muck and the mire. God, you opened up yourself to us and came and found us. Look, you think you're here today because you chose to come. You think you're here today to find God. You're here because God has found you. He brought you. And He has His hand extended to all who will, saying, come to me. I know there's those that would say, oh, well, I'm, i got to get cleaned up first before I go before the king. No. You don't get cleaned up to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and He begins to help you clean up. Come to Him just the way you are. He loves you just the way you are. He loves who you are. He loves what you are. So just reach out today and take His hand. Just reach out to Him. Say, Jesus, come into my life. I'm, I, I, I'm sick and tired of this sick and tired life without you. And if you truly are the answer, then come into my life and reveal it to me. I want that, Lord. I want to be forgiven. And let me ask you, church, where do you stand today? stand are you standing at the the altar of God and one foot in the altar of the culture are you living in faith and fear are you following the Holy Spirit and unholy spirits Are, are you are you believing truth and some lies are you worshiping at the altar of God and idols? Are you standing with one foot in God's kingdom and one, ha- one foot in Ahab's kingdom? Why don't you trust in God and the government? If so, repent. Just simply repent. God, forgive me. I want my life to be... St- purely before you.
in these places of compromise in my life, Lord God, forgive me and help me to overcome them. Because God, I want to live for you. In these days, Lord, I want to see clearly. Repent. Look, where do you stand? you and him and I just want you to take a moment to by the spirit consider that where do I stand and in a moment we'll we'll, we'll sing and if you need some prayer or would like some prayer we would love to pray with you I just want you to have a personal, intimate moment with Him. God bless you. And each one. A thousand generations Falling down in worship to sing the song of ages to the Lamb. And all who've gone before us, and all who will believe, will sing the song of ages to the
Come on, give a shout of praise this morning. Church, I do love you. I pray God speak to you, that God continue to speak to you. I pray that as you go, you would remember that church is not over. Church is about to begin. Go out there and go be the church. The blood-bought, the redeemed. Go be the forgiven. Go be the church. Amen? God bless you. Don't forget, grab your uh, Lead the Way Wednesday. Next Wednesday night, have church at home. God bless y'all.